Good morning. My name is JD, one of the pastors here. So glad that you are with us this morning. If I haven't met you, I look forward to uh, meeting you at some point, hopefully this morning after service. Um, yesterday was the 11th anniversary of Pillar Church of Jacksonville. All right? Yeah. Uh, just so we understand our context, how many of you were here 11 years ago when it started? Look around. That's right. Zero. Not even me, right? Uh, and so the church planter that started the church is not here this weekend, but they are the only family. The O'Day family was uh, who started the church 11 years ago, and uh, they, are, they are not with us this Sunday, but they will be back, uh, Lord willing, in in two Sundays uh, to be back with us, but they were they started the church eleven years ago. Eleven years ago. So how did we get here? Like how did the church begin? How did how did how did Pillar Church of Jacksonville get started? And I believe for us to understand how it all started was we actually have to go back to the Book of Acts. We good? All right, good. We have to go actually back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Now, that's a long way to go back to uh, when it comes to looking back at the history of how we got started. But I think it's good to understand the history of the church. So, in the book of Acts, actually, Acts chapter 1, we're going to be in Acts 17 today, but I want to lead us up to a little bit of, of where we are. In Acts chapter 1, uh, we are. Uh, witnessing the, uh, the resurrected uh, Jesus. Uh, he is with His disciples. They have been in the upper room uh, praying. And, uh, and, and He comes to His disciples and He says to them in Acts 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, He says, But you will receive uh, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the world, and to the end of the earth, right? That's, that's what you will be. You will be my witnesses, you apostles, you 120 that are gathered here in this upper room. You will be the ones that will carry the gospel forth to begin uh, to see churches being planted, see the gospel uh, go forth. And then it's immediately after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 that Peter preaches and about is estimated about 10,000 people were saved that day. That is not insignificant. That is not insignificant that 10,000 people on the first sermon ever preached that were received the gospel, they heard it and began to respond and then they began to to do something that seemed um, kind of foreign to them which was they gathered together and they started to preached the Word to one another, the Old Testament Scriptures to one another. They began to sing the Scriptures together, and they began to fellowship together and break bread together and celebrate what Jesus had done together through His broken body and His blood shed. And it was this beautiful picture of the Gospel. Then you get into Acts chapter 3, and something else begins to happen. There begins to be persecution against the church. Wait a minute, what is happening here? What is... What is going on over here that all these people are gathering together, responding to this person, this man named Jesus? What is happening over here? And there begins to be this great revolt against the Christians of 
that land. And then we get to Acts chapter 6. And a man named Stephen, a, one who had been appointed as a servant, one who had looked out and possibly one of the first deacons of the church, and he preaches a sermon. And what happens after he preaches that sermon? He is stoned to death for his gospel ministry. So immediately after the, the, the message Jesus gives them, the command that you will be, or the mandate that you will be my witnesses, they go forth and they are his witnesses and they begin to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And as soon as the gospel started and as soon as churches were being started, persecution happened. And then the one who leads this persecution, his name is Saul. Something amazing happens to Saul in Acts chapter 9. He goes from, well, first of all, he goes from Saul to being called Paul in Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That was who Saul was. He was a murderer. He was, a, he was breathing threats to the disciples, to those who were in the church. And he found any that were belonging to the way. The way was the one that which Christ was. The way, the truth, and the life. That is Jesus Christ and all of His followers known as the way. Men or women, He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 2. Now verse 3, something happens. Now as He went on His way, He approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around Him. And falling to the ground, He heard a voice saying to Him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the rest of them just they stood speechless. And then Ananias, verse 10, Lord said to him in vision, Ananias. Need you to rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the, at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Ananias is like, No, I'm not doing that because I know who Saul is. I know his record, I know what he's about. But God affirms that Saul is a changed man. In verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He rose, was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And then look at verse 20. Immediately, Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. Soon after, the scales fell from the eyes of Saul, who would become Paul. Immediately, he began to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ, this is what happens to us when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ when we are changed by the power of the gospel, we become His ambassadors to continue the forward advance of that gospel. 
Just like the, 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 the apostles and the disciples in Acts chapter 1, uh, where Jesus tells them that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, so is that for us. Even as we see it unfold in the book of Acts, that, he, that the gospel would go to all these places, that we too would be faithful in our proclamation, just as Saul was, or Paul was, here in Acts. And then we get to Acts 13. Acts 13 will be in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And they fasted and they prayed and they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. What a beautiful picture of the church gathered, the Holy Spirit intervening, and the church sending out two of their most faithful leaders. What a beautiful picture of what the church is to be today in advancing the gospel. And then Barnabas and Saul and Paul and Saul, they, they take off. They take off on their missionary journey and they begin to, to, to see um, gospel fruition or gospel fruit through their evangelistic efforts, through the proclamation of the gospel. That's why I love the book of Acts so much is because as you go through the book of Acts, you get a full display of beautiful execution of God's game plan to make disciples, to baptize them as they witness uh, throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, like a coach who draws up the perfect play and then the players go and execute it even more perfectly. That is what Jesus has done with His commission to the church. That they would go out to in all the world to execute what Jesus has called us to do. Just like in the book of Acts, that same gospel, that same powerful message still changes lives today. And it still applies and falls on us to continue to advance the gospel that God has given to us. And so can we, like Isaiah, be, I understand the fullness, I understand the goodness, the glory, and holiness of God. And in so seeing that, do I say, here I am, send me. Is that our response to the, to the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done to us, in us? And then we get uh, through the rest of Acts, and we see that they're going from town to town to town, in so doing bringing along disciples, evangelizing, proclaiming, and then people are persuaded, people are changed, people are responding to the good news of the gospel over and over and over again, and and they are gathered into local churches. And this is what happens in the book of Acts. And as we get into the epistles or the letters in the New Testament, we see that Paul is writing back to these churches a lot of times. And so we will see as we get ready to begin our walk in uh, in the book of First and Second Thessalonians, that we will see how the church of Thessalonica began. So we're going to pick up in Acts 17. Acts 17. 
And we're going to read 1 through 9. And then we're going to skip down to verse 13. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab one that's under the seat in front of you. We'll be in it uh, a considerable amount. Uh, if you do not have a Bible of your own, that is our gift uh, to you. It is a great way to follow along. You also can use your device. Just encourage you to read along with us. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in, a, in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason's and some of the, Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they, were, they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. They moved uh, by, Paul and Silas moved by night to Berea. We'll pick up in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, this is your word. May your spirit use it to change us, to transform us to encourage us, to exhort us, or that we would be faithful in walking in obedience in it, and helping others to see the good news of Christ Jesus and what He's done for us, in and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The main premise of my uh, sermon this morning is this, be faithful to advance the gospel no matter the cost. Be faithful to advance the gospel, no matter the cost. I think we can conclude three things from this passage. The first one is advancing the gospel, or the gospel advances through personal proclamation. The first conclusion is that the gospel advances through personal proclamation. The second conclusion is this, that advance the gospel despite persecution. We are called to advance the gospel despite persecution. The third is that we are to advance the gospel through church planting. We are to advance the gospel through church planting.
planting. So the gospel advances through personal proclamation. Look at verse 1. They had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica. The end of, uh, of Acts 16 tells us that they were in Philippi, where they had suffered and been under much persecution there in Philippi. And so verse 1 is interesting because it just makes a blanket statement and captures that they passed through Amphipolis Amphipolis and Apollonia in order to get to Thessalonica. Well, that makes it seem like a short little journey, but it's not. It's actually 100 miles between Philippi to Thessalonica. So it was no short journey that was happening here. That would be like us traveling from this place and going down to North Myrtle Beach, right? Not Wilmington, but further down, and we just continue walking, right? So it was no small feat of what Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark were doing as they went on these missionary journeys. Now they would go for miles and miles and hours and days to take the gospel forth to these new places. So they end up in Thessalonica, And Paul goes in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. That tells us that there was three Sabbath weeks that he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Not only did he reason, but he explained and he proved and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. And we know that this, is, this was his custom because he, it tells us it was his custom. But over and over again in the book of Acts, it tells us that Jesus would go into these towns and he would go where the natural gathering places were and he would begin to testify and proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And he would begin to, uh, to open the Scriptures and he would begin to dialogue and to reason and to explain and to prove from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And it, and, it, and it took hold in the Thessalonican church. They understood this. They got it. Because if you go to 1 Thessalonians 2, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. It says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We came with the clarity of proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ who suffered and rose from the dead. That simple. That is the gospel. That Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Not with, not with flattering words. He just reasoned. He opened the Scriptures. He explained. He proved and He proclaimed that this is the Christ. And if you go on in Acts, in chapter 20, verse 24, it says this, speaking of Paul, "...but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus." to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew his responsibility before the Lord. And what was it? 
to testify to the gospel of grace. Brothers and sisters, that is the same um, onus that has been placed on us that we should feel. That we should live our lives testifying to the gospel of the grace of God that has changed us, that has transformed us, that has brought us from death to life. And yet we live in that. You see, the mission field is right outside the doors of this church. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So what are we to do? We're to pray. Pray that God would give us initiative and fervor to go and proclaim the good news to a lost world and provide more workers in the process. Well, guess how we get more workers? The more that we go, the more that we take on the here I am, send me, Lord. I want to go and be a faithful uh, worker who testifies in the glory and the grace of God and what He has done through us in and through Christ Jesus. I want to be that guy. I want to be that person, that man or woman, to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus and testify to this Christ who has changed us and transformed us. And the way that we get more workers is to be faithful with the pearl of great price that has been given to all those who believe. That has been given to you. If you're here and you're a Christian this morning, this, this pearl, this 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 fervor, this initiative, this testifying has been given to you. We all recognize that we live in the midst of brokenness due to sin. Right? Recognize that, right? We live in, we live in a broken world. It's not, it's not hard to get other people to, even, even lost people to agree that we live in a broken, fallen world. I mean, you have to look no further than in your own community, maybe even in your own family, maybe in even all those that you work around, to see that there is all sorts of brokenness all throughout and around us. But we also recognize that there are different ways in which people attempt to deal with this brokenness, right? Some through alcohol, some through drugs. Some through sex. Some through uh, um, debt and, and putting money on credit cards and everything else, going and spending and shopping. And these are only a few of the myriad of mechanisms in which people use to cope with this broken world. But the Bible, the Bible is crystal clear. The only hope in life and death is the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the only one that brings us back into a right relationship with God the Father through Christ Jesus, His body broken and His blood shed for us. And so if you're a Christian here this morning... You need to be rehearsing the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. It should encourage you to hope, give you peace in the chaos of this world, empower you to overcome sin, strengthen you in the midst of suffering, and so on and so on. That is the good news of the gospel. 
in the midst of brokenness, that we live changed lives, that the Bible has the answer in life and death, and His only answer is hope in Christ Jesus. But if you are here this morning, you're not a Christian. The message of the Gospel, the proclamation of Jesus, is what will bring salvation to your soul. Nothing else. It is what will bring healing to the brokenness. Nothing else. It is a salvation that can never be taken away. And a salvation, if it is true, can never be lost. The same message that they preached in Acts and in Thessalonica is the same powerful gospel that is being preached in this church this morning. It is being preached through the songs that we sing, through the words that I'm saying, through the Lord's Supper that we will be taking. The powerful message of the gospel is being reiterated over and over and over again. The question is, do you believe it? And the question is, has it changed you? Has it empowered you? Is it giving you hope? Because what we know is that Christ came into this world to save sinners and usher us into His kingdom. That is the hope that we will continually be reminded of in Paul's letters to the Thessalonican church. A future hope and a future kingdom in a future glory with God Himself. That is good news. So we advance the gospel through proclamation. Second conclusion from this particular passage is this, that we will advance the gospel despite persecution. We will advance the gospel despite persecution. Imagine that we're sitting in this place. Most of you, I assume, are pretty comfortable in your soft chairs, I would imagine. Most of you may be feeling a little warm. I'm feeling warm. Hopefully you're not falling asleep. I know that happens. But imagine that you're just sitting there and you're listening to me preach, and all of a sudden the doors bust open in here. And people begin to come in. And they begin to drag me away for preaching the good news of the gospel. That is exactly what happens in the church in Thessalonica. They're gathering in a house of a person named Jason. They can't find Paul and Silas, so they bring Jason out because of their jealousy of who is this person, who is this, what is happening in the midst here. That we are seeing some of the Jews persuaded. Many devout Greeks are being persuaded. And not a few women are being persuaded by the good news of the gospel. And they're coming together and they're starting to proclaim the good news about this thing called the way. And then in the midst of that, as Jews see that their money is going to be depleted, their power is being depleted, what do they do? They go into the house of Jason. They formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. And they go to the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So they couldn't find them in Jason's house, so guess what they do? They just bring Jason. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 
Paul says this, in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Severe persecution. This is what we're seeing in Acts. They come in, they drag Jason, they bring him out into the middle of the courtyard for a mock trial. I realize that most of us will never know this type of persecution. But yet, over 100,000 Christians are martyred every year for their faith. Even though we don't feel this type of persecution here in the States, martyrdom is as prominent as it has ever been. And yet, yet, the Gospel still advances. The Gospel still goes forth on the backs of those who proclaim with boldness and intentionality. The good news of the Gospel that we must be proclaiming that God uses us as ambassadors and as vessels to proclaim the good news of His glory despite what may come against us. What's the worst? Go to your neighbor and tell them the Gospel. What's the worst that could happen? Most likely. I know there's some worse. We can go all sorts of down-the-road things, right? What's, what's, mainly, what's probably the worst thing that could happen? He might spit on you. He or she might spit on you. Or at the worst, they're probably just going to close the door in your face, right? Get away from me. Or, or they could respond to the gospel in a way that they are persuaded and believe by faith. Despite the persecution, we are called to stand faithful in our proclamation. Why? Because we honor the Lord. We are His ambassadors. You know, Martin Luther, who um, in many ways was, was a reformer uh, during the Reformation, was, was a prominent figure in the Reformation uh, that started back in 1517. If you've heard of the 95 Theses, right, then, then they are, uh, uh, Martin Luther's the one that put them on the doors of the church in Wittenberg. Uh, he very much spoke against uh, false teaching that had to deal with the authority lied with the church and not Christ. Uh, it lied with councils appointed by the church. Uh, he spoke against indulgences uh, for purgatory, transubstantiation of the Lord's Supper, uh, salvation by works, and many other false teachings during that day. And he stood up and he, and he said, he wrote, he wrote, uh, he began to read the word for himself. And the more that he read the word for himself, the more he realized that Christians are not saved under the authority of the church and under the authority of councils, but they are saved through the authority of the word. That they're saved not by works, but by grace through faith alone and Christ alone as revealed by scripture alone to the glory of God alone. That is what they, that's what Martin Luther saw. When he began to do something he had never done before, which is read the Bible for himself. Once he began to read the Bible for himself and began to understand, reformation in his own heart began to happen. But then he said, I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell others. And he began to write. And up until his time at the, in front of the Diet of Worms, this was not a, a diet as in he needed to lose weight. This was a council at a, a, a city called Worms. And as he, as he went to the council of, and the Diet of Worms, 
They told him, hey, do you recant of two things? One, all the books that you have written that have gone against the church, that have propagated a gospel that seems foreign to us, but true to the Word. That was his first. And do you recant that you, the authority lies in Scripture and not the church? Do you recant from that? And Martin Luther, feeling the vexation of standing before someone that's probably going to take his life, he said, I need some time. He said, I need a day. And he comes back the next day, and he stands before the Diet of Worms. And here is what he concluded. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason... For I believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves, I consider myself convicted by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. He says, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. That was his words before the Diet of Worms. That is what he went away with thinking and believing. He just needed to make sure that he was, uh, he, he was feeling what he said here. And I wonder about us. I wonder if, if, if faced with that sort of persecution and knowing that he's likely going to die, God providentially saved him and was able to get him out and away from the Diet of Worms and from their execution that they would have brought. But I cannot recant. I cannot go against my conscience because it's neither safe or sound. It's interesting because it would have been safe. Who is he saying it's not safe toward? It's not safe toward God. It's not safe toward God to go against His holy word. That is what Martin Luther is saying. I wonder for us if we're too safe. If we're not risky enough to go out and to proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus. If we're, too, if we're too safe in our own homes and too safe in our own suburbia to go and proclaim the good news of Christ. And if I were to ask you, like, how many people have you told the gospel to in the last year? I ask myself that question. And I'm amazed at the lack of answer that I have outside of preaching. But yet, we are called in the face, even in the midst of persecution, to proclaim the good news of God because it is safe to God. It may be risky to us, but I'd rather stand before God knowing that I've done what He's called me to do than stand before my neighbor and He not close the door in my face. God help me. God help us is what Martin Luther proclaimed. I pray that He would help us in this endeavor. Because we have this promise in Matthew 5. It says this, and it's from Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What are we to do? Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yes, you will suffer persecution. If you go and proclaim the good news throughout all the world, guess what will happen? You will be in some ways persecuted. persecuted. You will be reviled. You will be hated. You will be despised in the eyes of many. And yet God will look at you and He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'd much rather hear that and worry myself with that than worry myself with what my neighbor or my coworker or my family may think. So we are to advance the gospel by proclamating the good news. In so doing, we will suffer persecution. But we will also have the opportunity to advance the gospel through church planting. Through church planting. Although it is not explicit in this passage in Acts, what happens as a result of the work of Paul and Silas and others is that a new church was started. How do we know this? Because we have the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Paul is writing a letter to a church that was established in that most important region in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1 tells us this, and, and I'm not going to uh, expound on it too much because um, Caleb will, will expound it and ex- exposit it next week. Here's what it says. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That is what happened. They, they turned from idols. They, they, they turned away from the things of this world and turned to God through Jesus Christ to serve Him and Him alone. And from there, from Macedonia and Achaia, the gospel went forth to everywhere, to all of the known world. It went forth from that place in Thessalonica through the church that was brought forth here in Acts under much scrutiny and persecution and hardship. Praise God for this church. Praise God for this church here. That we would be this kind of people. That we would sound forth the gospel from this place. But not only from this place, but throughout the known world. That we would be this kind of people that would be thinking and considering our role in this endeavor to do what happens in Acts 13. That as we're gathered together, that some among us, that the Holy Spirit would come in and He would reveal to us who it is that's saying, here I am, send me. Send me to the most difficult places in the world as a missionary. I want to go. I pray that that would be someone in this church. Here I am, send me, that I would be the next church planter. We planted a church down in Topsoil in 2020. We just planted a church in Havelock outside of Cherry Point in, in Easter of 23. By God's grace, we're going to plant another church outside of Seymour Johnson in Goldsboro by about 25. Uh, we'll have a church down in Fayetteville. 
outside of Fort Liberty uh, here in about another year. That this would continue to happen over and over and over again by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us and that we would be standing faithful as a church. Not only that, but we would be supporting that work through monies that are given through your, uh, through your gracious means as necessary. In Philippians, it tells us that um, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this, And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This church that had just began in the much persecution in Philippi saw fit to send money and means necessary to Paul and Silas and Timothy in Thessalonica as they were working there. And so for us as a church, most of our money, Lord willing, goes towards this endeavor. To see churches planted, to support the work of gospel ministry in Topsail, in Havelock, in Fayetteville, Lord willing, in Goldsboro in a couple of years, to, to the UAE, where we have workers we're supporting, who are working amongst the people group, one of the most unreached people groups in all the world. We support that work. Why? Because the mission is clear. That we are to advance the gospel through the proclamation of the word, no matter the cost. To see churches planted, to see lives changed, to see people persuaded and believing in the good news of the gospel. I realize that None of you raised your hand that you were here when this church began 11 years ago. And for the predominance of this room, I would say probably about 95%. When we go 11 more years, guess how many of you will be in this room? It will not be many, if any. And yet... And yet, by God's grace, He will sustain us into perpetuity. That over and over and over again, that people would faithfully come. That people would faithfully respond to the good news of the gospel. And then His church, over and over again, will continue to be built. And it will be on your shoulders on your shoulders in the time that you have here, how you will respond to your responsibility, to your intentionality, to, to your mission of advancing the gospel here in this place, in this time, in this season. We are a body of believers. I pray that we'll ultimately be faithful to God and advancing the gospel throughout Jacksonville, throughout 
some of the military in East North Carolina, and throughout all the known world that we are able to reach. That we would be a people who walk in a manner worthy of God who calls each of us into His own kingdom and glory. That's the main thrust of 1 Thessalonians. That we would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls each of us into His own kingdom and glory. That means that each of us must bear the weight and response, responsibility to advance the gospel no matter what the cost. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity that we have to come together to, 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 to help one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another as Your Word sees fit, to, to call us into action, to call us to be proclaimers of the good news of the Gospel. Lord, help us to respond by faithfully knowing what our role is in this church and in this life that You've called us to. That in the midst of the brokenness that we live in and that we work in, Lord, that the only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen.